Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in a holiday edition, a very merry edition. I didn't know what to go with for this of Doyle and Derek as we return from a week sabbatical. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. And if you're still celebrating, I hope you're enjoying it with family, friends and lots of terrible food because that's what I've had over the last couple of days. I'm not sure about you, Greg. Uh, Greg Doyle, the star of this show, Indy Star Sports columnist. I'm Derek Schultz, Fox Sports 1260 afternoons on Quarry and Schultz. And man, I feel like we've got so much to get to Pacers, Colts college hoops a lot of people are doing the all-time decade lists or the stories of the year as we transition into 2020 but you tell me greg because you've been churning out any anything and everything here columns wise what did you want to start with today how about we start with tyler trent and maybe being, he might be the reason they cure cancer do you are you aware of this have you my story just went up right before we got in here you don't know no i know we're reaching the one-year anniversary because he passed on new year's day new year's of day. 19 right yeah and i wasn't gonna write I wasn't going to write a one year. I just wasn't going to do it. I've not. I've. I don't know if I've written about Tyler since he passed. I'm not. Lord knows that would get a lot of clicks, and I don't care. I don't want to do that. But but I heard some news this week that the tumors he donated to science to Riley, they're making amazing progress. Like they're halting. Wow. Yeah, they're 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 using these to study him and to get the right medications, and they're they're halting cancer in its absolute tracks in mice, which is you know a whole another issue, but. Anyway, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing turn of events and and then meanwhile a whole year's passed and other things have happened in the family. So yes, I but I'm not saying he's gonna cure cancer, but after everything I saw from Tyler and the, the year the last couple of years he had that he lived and the impact he had like here and well beyond, if ten years from now, you know, his name is associated with the cure for cancer, as ridiculous as that sounds, I'd go, Yeah, that's about that's about who he was. So many of us don't even give or are able to have the impact that he have had while we're living and now he has since passed and is still having an impact it's incredible yeah and so many things i left out of the story i'm just now realizing he he donated two two tumors and he was in his final weeks of life and knew i mean he was in hospice care he was at home and he was shutting down and paralysis and all this and when the doctor came and to give him a heads up on just an update here's what your tumor is doing tyler wanted to know what is my? What are y'all doing with my tumor? What is it doing? They came and told him what it was doing, and, and he was. He said, "You guys, you want to take another one from me? Take some more out of me?" And that hurt. I mean, that hurt. Yeah. I don't mean it hurt a little bit. I don't mean it was a boo boo. I mean that was sure brutal. And he tried to give them another one. And they said, "No, we're not going to do that to you. We're we're okay." So, an amazing young man continues to give more, and is after he's past than a lot of us are going to give in our entire life most of us well that's great because you know so much of the story because he passed so young is sad you know it, it brings apart and i know greg you were much closer with him than i was i knew him very peripherally and you had a, a very close friendship with him um but to hear stuff like that it just puts a smile on your face doesn't it i mean it, how, it, how can it not it does and i i'd heard this on i think i heard this on christmas eve maybe and 
was off like a lot of people are off and and i'm not and i you know we're all working hard this time of year there's all these overlap stuff and i wasn't gonna write i wasn't gonna work but and i knew to do the story i was gonna have to talk to the researcher and tyler's parents and dredge it all up for them and sure and then sit down and write and i'm thinking this story's too important like it doesn't if i can get these people to talk to me on christmas eve we're doing it because it's just too important it's just amazing so it does it puts a smile on your face and gives you hope and and who doesn't want hope you check it out right now on the indie star app also indiestar.com and will that appear in print as well Sunday's paper. Okay, Sunday's paper yep. for the article on Tower Chart. How was your holiday, just overall? Um, it was great. I spend my holidays in, around here with um, the Bob Tully family. That's right. I saw your picture from Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was there with them, him again Christmas, re- re- retired. Uh, not really retired. Well, he's retired, but he still works there at Roncalli. And anyway, his family on Christmas Eve, we have dinner together. So it's beautiful. And it's you talk about bad food. <laughs> I'm not talking about bad food. I'm talk- They do finger food. Oh, they- yeah, that's even worse because I've got no off switch with oh, stuff like that. Right, you yeah. just eat and eat and eat those little bit barbecue wieners and just sure. little like nothing fancy. Although someone at Roncalli, in fact, the the president of the whole school, Joe Hollowell, um, donated, uh, uh, gave them, left it on their front door, but you know, healthy. Um, uh, what do you call them? A, a honey banked ham. Oh, okay. And because yeah. because I'm a scavenger, that I walked out of there with most of it. They let me have most of it, so it was all good. <laughs> I've had Chinese food. I think the last three days. Uh, the first time fresh, and then the last two times uh, takeout, and then my mom made lasagna for Christmas yesterday. So, and we've loaded up cookies and stocking stuffers, candy, the whole deal. But that's what it's all about. I'll get back on track here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll lead cults, even though I feel like there's a lot of Pacers stuff to talk about, just because this is the final week of the year, and we haven't talked to you since their loss in Tampa Bay, and, and since then they played two games. They came back and got waxed by New Orleans on Monday Night Football, showed themselves much better against the Panthers team, albeit that's completely quit on the season. Uh, <laughs> but anything left to learn from the Colts this Sunday? Anything you're watching for against Jacksonville? I'm I'm going to be watching Jacoby Brissett, and I, I mean, I've written about that guy. It, this season has been so dominated by two people. It is Adam Vinatieri for about ten weeks. You're I mean, right. It was every week. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have to write about him, but every game came down to his feet, one way or the other. I mean, mm-hmm. it was crazy. And then the last three or four weeks, it's been all about Jacoby, and not for the same reason. He's not winning or losing games. It's just as we realize, we're getting closer and closer to: is he the guy or is he not? And that is the story right now because Vinatieri is not the guy. They they've moved on, and. I'll be watching Jacoby really like like you watch Friday the Thirteenth the movie you know your your fingers over your eyes but you're creep because you almost if you're a Colts fan so I guess I'm trying to channel what they're thinking what I think a lot of them are thinking is you almost don't want him to throw for three fifty you you don't because he's been what he is all they need now is him to throw for three hundred fifty yards and four TDs and a huge win and. Do they stick with him for next year and maybe they should but that's what I'll be watching for see I I think. They're not. They're going to take the body of work. I know what you and I do is a lot more reactionary to what just happened, but I truly believe that Frank Reich and Chris Bauer are going to evaluate Jacoby all four months, not just the last eight weeks, not just the first eight weeks, but take it on the whole. Uh, but one thing that, that I keep coming away with, Greg, is that that was, and you saw it on Sunday, that was an overwhelmed Panthers team. They were, they're ready to to go home for the for the winter, for the spring, for everything. They, they're done with the season. And the Colts did everything that they wanted to against them and blew them out, yet Brissett was 14 of 27 for 119 yards and no touchdowns? Right, right. Like, really? that That's the best that you could – barely 50% completion against that team? No, he did have three drops. But there's, sure. There, there's drops every week, but he had three. So, and, and I know that in my story because I know I've been kind of hard on him, so mm-hmm. I want to make it very clear that, hey, there were some drops. But, yeah, those are bad numbers even with the drops. I mean, that was a Panthers team 
and I didn't even get into this in my story. I should have. They fired their coach. Their coach is gone. Cam Newton's gone. Kyle Young, Kyle Allen's not good enough. I mean that there was they had nothing. They they hadn't. So we saw the the Colts beat up a team that had nothing, and I just couldn't get excited about it. I, no. I, that's why I wrote about Jacoby because I can't write. What does this What does this win mean? You didn't no playoffs. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. You beat a terrible team that's quit. Am I supposed to celebrate that? There are better stories here than that. No, for sure. And I'm glad that they – it felt like a game that they just kind of let out some frustration of the the final – the last couple of weeks because this season obviously did not end well. Um, and I do think that there were some positive performances to build upon, like with Naheem Hines. Oh. Uh, if he could get – I had kind of forgotten about the fact that he was borderline talked about as potentially being a cut candidate – because of how terrible his ball security issues were in the preseason as a rookie, you remember? Oh, I remember. Where they were, they were like, "Oh my God, don't let this guy touch the ball anymore because he's just going to fumble all over himself." And clearly, he's got some big play ability. And Chester Rogers is kind of steady Eddie back there at punt return. But I love having a guy that's a big play threat like Hines, who really could house it anytime he touches it. Yeah, but what's weird about that game? And it was no fluke. He returned two for TDs and had a third one. He went thirty something yards, yeah. and you know, it was one guy away from breaking that one too. Which can you imagine that if he'd had three? I mean, it's that's unbelievable. two's unbelievable. It's never happened, right? Never. Yeah, I never. wouldn't think so. But we've, you know, this is the fifteenth game of the season. He played last year. I don't know if he was hurt for any of these games. That's thirty-one games in his career, and he's gotten the ball a lot, a lot of carries, a lot of catches, the occasional return. And we know he's fast. We, I mean, no, he's he was a track guy at NC State, so it's not like nothing that happened um, should be discounted at all. And yet, he never did any of this. Like I, I don't want to call it a fluke. I don't, and I'm not. But as you talk about the Panthers were a team that quit, and they did lose their head coach, and Cam Newton has nothing to do with the punt return defense, but it's just kind of weird. Like, he hadn't broken anything. Yeah. Nothing. No, you're right. Where did that come from? And your colleague Jim Aiello had his yards per carry numbers, and he's a distant fourth behind Williams and uh, and uh, Wilkins and obviously Marlon Mack. But I just think he's the kind of guy, Greg, I think he's a gadget player. I think you've got to – he's the kind of guy that you got to get in space. Remember we were talking about Paris Campbell being a gadget player? I yeah. think Hines is like that, where if you utilize him correctly, he can be a big weapon for you. And I, I just don't know if the Colts used him they, – they didn't use him as much this year as they did last year. And I don't know if that's a luck Brissett thing or what the deal is there, but I think personally they have something there. And I might just be high on the kid because I know you love Kenny Moore – yeah, to me, Hines is my Kenny Moore. I just think he's a, a vibrant personality. He's a great dude. He is. Um, he's got a great story. He's a twin. I'm a triplet. I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. I would um, like to see I'm Naeem Hines. I, I hear that. I would like to see him maybe transition to receiver entirely. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, and I, don't, I assume his hands are good enough, but we know, get him in space. You know, don't hand him the ball anymore between the tackles. And anyway, just they have enough running backs, and he's not done anything to be all that good at running back. Put him a receiver. They need help at receiver, and maybe they can turn him into something special. We'll have plenty more to talk about as the weeks and months go on on this podcast, but just looking at it right now with the offseason about to be here, is this the most fascinating offseason since you've been in Indianapolis for the Colts? I think it has to be because this is the one where quarterback is, is the story, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the story, and there's no bigger position in football than quarterback, and it's not a sure thing. Like, we don't know. Well, Andrew Luck has announced his retirement at the end of the year, so we know we don't know for sure they're getting a quarterback. Yeah. So you don't know that, and then if they do get a quarterback, you don't know are they going to draft one, they're going to get one in free agency. Is Chad Kelly, for whatever reason, do they think he might? It's interesting to me, and I'm not predicting Chad Kelly as a quarterback next year at all, but it is interesting that they refuse to put him on the taxi squad again because once he's been called up to the roster, the only way he can go down, you got to put him on waivers. He has to clear waivers, mm -hmm. then you put him on the taxi squad. They're keeping him on the roster – 
and they were keeping him on the roster before the playoffs were out of the question. Like they were, and those are spaces are valuable, you know. Yeah. They were you they did not want to lose this guy. And I just don't do you do you what if he's a future backup? Is he is that important enough to and maybe it is, but I just wonder what do they see in him? Because and I don't I don't mean that critically. I just I really got to be something. I literally wonder what do yeah. they see in him? And they kind of have really just laughed off any suggestion that they're going to actually put him out there in a game. Yeah. So that's what makes it all so strange. And but, to be clear, sorry to interrupt you, but when I say I wonder what they see in him, I don't mean that meanly either. Like, I don't see no. it. I just mean literally I wish I could read their mind. I wonder how good they think he might be. Because there has to be something there for them insisting that he stays on the 53-man yes, roster. I'm yes, with yes, yes. My guess is that they'll go into next year with Brissett as the one, a high draft pick as the two, first round or second round or whatever it is, and Chad Kelly I think they'll try to get away with maybe originally on the practice squad as the three and just kind of roll from there. That that would be my best guess of how they're going to proceed. But you're right, Greg, we don't know. We don't know if – hell, look at the veterans that are out there. Um, Eli Manning is going to be available. Rivers is going to be available probably. Uh, Cam Newton likely is going to be available. This is also a really fascinating veteran quarterback market, and I don't think the Colts are going to get down that route, but I think all the cards are on the table here, and anything is possible for them. Um, and then the free agency situation, Costanzo and Kelly are both due, long extensions, um, and a lot of bit players who have played key roles, Zach Paschal, Chester Rogers, guys like that are free agents that are due, at, at least in Paschal's case, I, I think a pretty significant raise. Zach's going to get paid by somebody, probably this team. Mm-hmm. They love Zach Paschal. Um, I hate the idea of Eli or Philip Rivers. Me too. I hate that idea, and I say that as someone who loves Philip Rivers. I don't know Eli at all, but I covered Philip in college, and I just like the guy. I mean, he's a great guy. But I hate the idea, and I'm sure the Colts do too. You don't you don't start over at quarterback with a guy in his last year or two. You just you don't do yeah. that. I don't. That's not. Why would you replace a stopgap Brissett with another stopgap? I mean, Ryan right? Grigson. Right. Grig- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Grigson might have done that because yeah. Grigson was a guy. Let's you know. Let's plug in a guy and try to get a year or two out of this and Ballard's a guy that says let's get 10 years out of something and I don't know you you think Brissett comes back I, I I think they trade him oh yeah I don't know what his value is mm. I, I just think they go all in I mean I guess you could go all in with the rookie quarterback as your starter and have Brissett be your backup because he is a backup I mean he's a good backup he's a great backup hell he might be the best backup in the league I just don't think he's a starter yeah I don't know if you pay and I'd have to look at the dead cap and all that stuff. The payroll stuff is, you know, I wasn't a math major at IU, Greg, and it makes my head hurt sometimes when I look at it and I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do because I do think they're going to cut Coy, uh, Hoyer and and eat whatever they have to eat because that was a three-year deal there. But Brissett and making what he makes, I think the trade option would be better than carrying him as your two. Um, but who knows? Like I said, I think everything's on the table. And another reason why this offseason would be very interesting is that Ballard and the Colts, but Ballard, they've got a philosophy of we're not going to throw a lot of money at people in free agency, and we're certainly not going to overpay what we consider. I'm, I'm, I'm saying we as the Colts, what we consider overpaying, we're not going to pay that. So someone else will, but we're not going to do that. And that, you know, that that worked for them last year. This year, because Ballard's theory is no one player is all that important. You know, we're, it's a team. Everybody's important, but no one player. I wonder if this year taught him. And I'm not saying it should have. I just wonder if it, if he decided that you know what we we need a home run guy or two, and if we got to overpay, we're going to do it because we have cap space. That, that's another reason why the offseason is fascinating. Is I wonder if he tweaks his philosophy or if he's going to stick to it. And look at the returns you got from let's say Justin Houston. Where would this defense be without him? I mean, right. you had a, he had a really big year, and that was a risk. As is any time you delve into free agency. Let's move over to the Pacers. Uh, a positive update from yesterday, Christmas Day. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting that the timetable looks like late January to early February for Oladipo, which 
I think I speak for you, Greg, when I say that's not a surprise at all, right? We figured about a year, and it'll be a year late January that he blew his quad. Well, it's a surprise to me if we go back to August, September, because it sure seemed like... You thought it was earlier than that? It sure yeah. seemed earlier, I and and for no reason, really. The, the Pacers were very careful to not give anybody any hope about any of that stuff. Just the, the, the rate that he was returning, the, the things guys were saying at media day, which is, I don't know, mid-October, about Vic and how good he looked. I just, I, I, if you told me then it was going to be late January, possibly early February, I'd have said that sounds that's the worst case scenario, and I'm not saying it is now, but that's where it looks now. I mean, obviously it's not a surprise now. We're still a month away. I asked Nate McMillan um, at the last game, whenever that was, a couple of days ago, is there any chance is is Victor not returning this season? Is that on the table? And he said that's not something we've talked about. I mean, so he, I mean, he shot it down as much as you could. He didn't mm-hmm. say no. He said we haven't talked about it. But like, look at Zion Williamson. I don't know that he's playing this year. Yeah, and 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 he was supposed to, but but just once you've missed this much of a season and you're that valuable to a franchise, does it? Why do you want to sneak a guy back for a couple months early? And the Pacers are gonna. I mean, I'll be curious to see what they can do with Vic. But holy, look at their record without him. I'm not saying they're better without him at all. I'm just saying sure. there's no rush. If you think there's any chance, like there's no rush. But once he's cleared to play, yeah, he should play. Now that's right? true, right? Yeah. Right. I'm not saying hey, I don't care. He's cleared to play. Sit him. No, no, but. So they're not going to rush, but it's just interesting that I thought after watching the opening game they were zero three to start the year. I thought, man, he can't get back fast enough. Mm-hmm. They're going to go ten and seventy two without him. I mean, I didn't think they were going to be that bad, but but now it's like, well, they're they're going to win fifty, maybe even whether he shows up or not, which is remarkable. And you know, what I was thinking the other day, Greg, is that Ballard makes the Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard picks, and suddenly you know we're wa- waving the palms in the streets down Meridian. Hosanna! Ballard is the new savior. Doesn't Kevin Pritchard deserve a lot of credit for this? He remade the roster not once. He's remade it again, and it's working again. I, this team is a better team than last year, and they lost, what, seven of their top nine guys? Something. Seven, yeah, seven of their top ten or whatever it was. Something crazy, right. They, they brought back Turner Sabonis and, well, I mean, Old Depot. You count him as a yeah. loss almost. Yeah, he's like Ballard. I trust in Ballard when he drafts a guy, and, and he's not going to be perfect all the time, but if he drafts a guy, I'm going to assume, okay, that guy, whether I've heard of him or not, whether mm-hmm. he plays at South Carolina State or not, I'm going to trust that Ballard and his scouts know what they're doing. Pritchard's the same way with these veteran free agents. If he gets a guy and thinks that he's more than what he's shown, if he gets a better role, he's going to be right. I mean, he's been right about everybody. Lamb, Warren, Brogdon, Oladipo, Sabonis. You know, I talk about interesting off-seasons. Um, what what do they do once and for all at center? Maybe they like this. They've won twenty one games or whatever, so they, I guess they stay with the, what they got. But Sabonis, it's I don't know if anybody would have seen this two years ago. That two years later now, Sabonis is the absolute going to be an all star. Yep, and he probably ought to be one this year. And Miles Turner's the guy that maybe we should move him. I I that's kind of. One guy is ascending into a frontline player, and the other guy is regressing into a role player, it feels like. Yeah. Which is weird, because I thought early on Turner was going to be, because the foundation was there, he was, it looked like he he showed so much in so many different areas, he was going to be a great all-around player, but I think you've just got to accept it. You know, and look, Turner had a fabulous game the other night, you were there for oh, it against yeah. Toronto, and he's going to have those games, but I think for the most part, Miles Turner is who he is at, at, at this point, which is a fine, solid NBA player. I think they pay him what he's worth. Honestly, I do. I think he has value. I just don't think that he's going to be the franchise pillar that we thought he could be, whereas Sabonis, ooh, he yeah. look he looks like he might be one of those guys. Miles is not overpaid, no, and, and I'm not saying 
they ought to move him. It all comes down to how many centers do they want, right? Yeah. And if they want just one frontline starting center, then it's very obvious right now who it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a bonus. But yeah, Turner, the thing about him is that he's he's got that prototypical NBA game. He's long, can hit threes very well, and can block shots at the rim. I mean, he does he checks every box you want, and yet this year he's averaging ten and five and two blocks. It's it doesn't make a lot of sense. I I, I and I can't say I don't study usage rate and all that. I can't say that it's because of opportunity. It just, I think he's okay kind of, as you say, filling that role. Yeah, the worst, and I hate making this comparison because they're two completely different players, but my argument with Roy Hibbert's demise always was the worst thing to ever happen to him was the the, the fluky, great three-week stretch in the 2013 playoffs where he dominated the Knicks and then he dominated the Heat, and we all thought, oh my God, Roy Hibbert's going to be a 20-10 and 10 guy. Roy Hibbert was never a 20-10 and 10 guy ever. Never before that and never after that. And I think the worst thing that happened to Turner was during Paul George's departure, we all made him the guy. Right. And then when he wasn't the guy and Oladipo instead became the guy, I think a lot of a faction of the fan base kind of turned on him, and and I think it lost him a little bit mentally. He says the right things, but I, I think it, you know, the stuff he cleared out his Instagram and Twitter, I, I think it does get to him. Oh, the other day after the Raptors game, and I wasn't there to hear it, but I saw the quotes, he said, there are people that say I'm not a, a shooter, and they're wrong, and I'm, I'm going to keep shooting because I am. And I don't I don't know who he was talking about. Like I, I mean, I know there are people that probably say that. I'm not saying he's wrong. The fact is he's hearing it, mm-hmm. or he's reading it, or it's on Twitter or a radio guy. I don't know, but he notices stuff and will tell us he notices stuff. He's open about that, which is great, but you maybe you want your guys that are going to be stars to be just killers. And I don't think he's a killer. I think he's a nice human being. About Zion, real quick, not a local story, but – Today it's out that the the Pelicans are reteaching him how to walk and run. I mean, wow, I, I, I mean, see this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not geez. that he's an idiot. It's that yeah. it's that that. And you you look at the way he walks and runs. He he does kind of he go, he goes up on the ball of his feet. I'm, do, I'm showing my hand right now, but he 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 elevates with every step. He just, he just got that walk, you mm-hmm. know. And and I wonder if they they think that's just a bunch of wear and tear in your meniscus. You don't need to have. But how shocking is that? The guy's six eight, two ninety, the best athlete of that size that we've ever seen in the world. I yeah. mean, there might be better athletes out there somewhere, but they're not playing pro sports, and we don't know who they are. No one that big and that strong and that fast can jump like that. It doesn't happen. And yet, they got to reteach him how to walk. Jeez. So what happens to him? And you knew that it was going to be a risk physically. I'm not sure if people knew it was going to be like this, though, um, where this is this looks like it's going to be a real problem for them. And, and it's so hard to find anything comparable, Greg, because there no are one no. else has, has ever been like him. Right. The, the thing, the reason why it's it's so hard to find a comparable and why it could be difficult going for him long term is that he does carry more weight, and it's almost all muscle. He carries more weight than anybody that size should carry. I'll give you an example, a, a comparison here, sort of. And and he's clean. Okay, to be very clear, Zion is clean. But the only thing I can compare him to is cheaters because he's naturally freakish. Mm-hmm. How many times, if you rip your biceps tendon, I don't know if you know this. But and it doesn't mean every time because actually I ripped my biceps in in boxing uh, about two years ago and I'm not on steroids. But by and large, when a football player or a baseball player rips their biceps tendon, that's a sign of steroid use because they that, the, the steroids have allowed them to build their muscles to a point that their tendons can't handle it anymore yeah. and they snap. So that's kind of what Zion does. His muscles are so big and his weight is so much that I'm not sure the human body's meant to handle that. And he's done it naturally. Kid exploded his own shoe for God's sake. 
Right. He exploded his own shoe. I've never seen that before where the shoe just disintegrated. I mean, maybe because it, it was a Paul George shoe. Maybe it was supposed to disintegrate late in the game. I'm not sure <laughs> if... Does that mean? That's brutal. <laughs> hey, he's, he's turned it around. Um, yes, he has. Yes, over he there. Has, he's yes. been become a great late game player, which yeah. I, I know Pacers fans just love to see. <laughs> uh, let's shift over to college hoops. Hold on. About, about the Pacers. Yeah. The fan thing with Kyle Lowry. Oh, that's right. Yes. So I... I that could have been – I was there that night, mm-hmm. and I have never – and I mean this. I have never been happier to write the story I've written from Pacers game than I wrote that night because on Twitter, everybody was assuming that some guy in Indiana said something racist to Kyle Lowry because Lowry, the way he reacted, the way he spun like in shock and pointed the guy and wanted him out of the game, we've seen this before, and almost always it's something horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought, well, shoot, I'll, the guy's still there. The NBA didn't kick him out, so it looks good, but – I went down and talked to the guy, and he's sitting second row, and I, I creep up behind him, and I'm tapping him on the shoulder, and he just kind of—he doesn't even look at me. He just kind of leans back, expecting maybe he thinks he's getting served a beer. I don't know, but he leans back, and first words out of my mouth were, "I'm not here to hurt you," and he immediately his shoulder sagged because he knew, "Oh no, we're about to talk about Kyle Lowry, aren't we?" I said, I'm, I'm, "I'm not here to hurt you," and they they turned around, and looks at me, and I said, "Hi, I'm you know I'm Greg Doyle from the Indy Star." Um, on Twitter, people are saying one thing. The fact that you're still sitting here tells me it's something else. What did you say? And then he told me, and I didn't put this in the story, and I should have. I just kind of forgot. The guy's a 21. However long can Seiko Fieldhouse or Banker's Life, whatever it's called, yeah. however long it's been, he's been a season ticket holder since then, 20-something years. And I should have made this point. He's never gotten in trouble before. Whoever he is, I know his name, I'm not going to say it, has never gotten in trouble before. Do we think after 21 years, Kyle Lowry's the guy that got him to say something awful? No. I was just thrilled that there's no story there because if it had to been a story there, it makes all, the whole city – I mean, whether you want to look bad or not, it doesn't matter. The people are going to point at us as a problem. That's what always happens. Always. Somebody in Philly does something stupid, and then right, oh, everybody. Philly fans, yeah. Right. So what? can you share what he said? Oh, yeah. Okay. He said, he, and he, he punctuated it by, 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 you know, he said three words, and he gave me, you know, three fingers, and I don't mean the middle finger. I mean, he counted off one, two, three. He goes, I said, Lowry, stop whining. And I'm I'm listening to that. And I'm I'm telling him that's it. Nothing in there even rhymes with a bad word. What do you think he thinks he he thinks he heard? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I don't know what he thinks he heard. But I, you know, and people, fans around him said that's what he said, and the security guard said that's what he said, and the fact that the NBA interviewed him, they pulled him aside, interviewed him, and then huh. they talked to the Pacers players and the security guard nearby, and we're all told by by everybody. He said, Larry, stop whining. So that's all all that happened. And so it's much to do about nothing. But I think it's important to point out the nothing because for a while there it looked like everything. And that's how it goes with the headlines. Sure. Everybody thinks something crappy happened and nothing really happened, so you move on, but you never clear a guy's name and or just clear our whole city's name. Did Lowry address it in the locker room afterwards? Or? Yeah, and it was so good. Because um, I asked Nick Nurse, the coach, afterwards mm-hmm. in, in the media scrum, did Lowry tell you what, what was said to him? And he said, uh, I didn't ask him, which I thought right away, okay, there's nothing there. But still, the the Raptors PR guy you know, saw me ask that question, and – Followed me into the locker room and and I and said to me, Lowry's going first, and I was the first guy in there. And he goes, but he doesn't want to talk about the incident. And I said, I'm from Indianapolis. I got to know what he said. That that story was turning on Twitter. I got to ask him. The Raptors guy said, I'm not telling you telling you you can't ask him. I mean, he's great about it. Yeah. He goes, I'm just saying, he said he don't want to talk he's about not it. Talk about it. Okay. So I walked up to Lowry and I and I posed this question in a very kind of manby pamby way, but only because I he's already on record with the PR guy. He's not talking about it. Mm. So I can't go up to him and attack him. Hey, he didn't, you know, I said to him, hey, Kyle, I'm with the Indianapolis Star. Did my city say something to you tonight? I, I, I'm just try, I'm trying to, like, yeah. almost a leading question. Like, it's okay. Tell me the truth. And he said, nah, it was nothing important. And I wasn't sure I heard that right. I said, say it again. He goes, it was nothing important. So I think he misheard the guy. 
and okay. realizes he misheard it. I'm trying to think of what he would have misheard. And maybe he's embarrassed that he didn't hear the guy right, and so he doesn't want to. He just wants it to yeah, go yeah. away. I mean, I think it's a natural mistake. Mm-hmm. It's an honest mistake. I think he thinks he heard something he didn't hear it, and, and as time goes on, he's decided, you know what? I probably didn't. It wasn't what I thought it was, and he's sorry he actually brought it up at all. But I will tell you that because I, I was down there, you know, at the at the crowd level, at the court level, and of course a lot of people are, but. Even when the arena is sort of quiet, there's a buzz, and I mean, you could mishear a syllable. You can do that. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's not nothing evil happened. Just it was a mistake. And anyway, thank God it turned out the way it turned out. Because otherwise, we're all talking about something else here. Sure, for sure. That's our entire podcast is about fans <laughs> and fan behavior. And because Isaiah Thomas went into the crowd, and that's right. And that was just last week. Yeah, right. and and that really was something that you shouldn't say to another human being. And those kids said it to him. What not did, expecting him to come out there. What did they say? It was uh, F-U-B, okay. and it was because I think Isaiah Thomas missed a free throw that would have given the fans a free oh. Frosty or something. Wow. <laughs> Some, something, a free taco. I don't remember what it was. Did you see the, the Brad Stevens taco fall thing? I did. That was great. Yeah. Oh, did, yeah. did you hear his explanation for why he was so cute on the sideline? He he was like, the, the crowd's chanting, they're chanting yeah. we want taco, or whatever they're chanting. Mm. And, 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 and Brad, the, the video on Twitter someone got shows him listening smiling and bobbing his head to the beat like you know if it's we even waved his hand like get it right like get the crowd up or whatever he just had that little cute little Brad Stevens (laughs) sly smile and waving to the crowd and then he kind of just I forget what he does but he sort of looks at Taco and just like like gives him a the the head shrug like get in there Mm. and he said he was smiling did you hear this no. He was smiling through all that, not just because it was cute that the crowd wanted Taco. He was smiling because he'd said earlier that day in the car, driving to the arena or driving to the mall with his, whatever, he's with his family, and he was talking about Taco Fall and how everybody wants him to play. He said his daughter said to him, Dad, give the people what they want. <laughs> and so Brad says he was thinking about his daughter making that cute little comment as the crowd's going nuts. And so it, it's just right. another reason why we love that guy. Uh, they got three guys averaging 20-plus per game now, Boston does. So look out for the Celtics as well. I know we're talking a lot about Milwaukee, but and Philly looked unbelievable yesterday too. I know it's just one game, but the East looks really interesting and really good at the top. And once Toronto gets all the bullets back in the gun, they'll right. be really good too. And Romeo, by the way, played on that Christmas Day game. He was in the game in the first quarter. Yeah. I have no idea what right he away. did. Did he? Yeah, he did. About uh, two or three minutes in, he hit a basket. I don't know what his stats were because I didn't really watch much of the game, but on, on the highlights I saw, he was on the court. And I watched a little bit of the game. He's on the court a lot, so... If he becomes anything at all, you talk about a team that has a lot of frontline players, and if Romeo can kind of start becoming what he's supposed to be as our sixth, seventh man, that's pretty good too. I'll tell you this: I'm not a scout or anything, but you watch him out there on the floor, and he doesn't look out of place. He has the body type to seemingly succeed on that level. So hopefully, he can get healthy and get his head right and figure it out. Because I I root for anybody that comes from here. Oh, heck that, yeah. that's just kind of how I am. Yep. Um, speaking of Romeo Langford's alma mater, let's briefly talk college basketball as well. Kind of a lull between the crossroads. I know Indiana's got a game against Arkansas. Um, everybody else wrapping up non-league with lesser opponents. But where we are through the first two months of the season, have, have we determined what IU is yet? Because they're kind of getting by on the skin of their teeth, but glass half full. They're getting by. They're winning. They are winning. I, I thought it was interesting, the reaction by and large to the Notre Dame game, which was um, people – there was a lot more of this than I thought. People wanted me and us and everybody to kind of attack IU, but they should have won easier than that. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's not any good, and IU's not good enough, and there's a lot of negativity about that win. And granted, they were way up, and they, they almost gagged it away, but still, I, I don't know. You, you're winning games in college basketball, and it's hard to do that, and you're 11-12-1. and one. I, I don't know that they're a, a deep run in the tournament kind of team, and they might not even be a tournament team, but they're, they're close, and I think given they lost Juwan, their, their best two players from last year yeah. – 
and they didn't really bring it. There's no freshman just going nuts this year. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Trace Jackson Davis <laughs> is going nuts. Still, I think I think this is an encouraging year for IU, and I think next year could be really special, especially if Trace Jackson Davis stays in school. I think fans are just watching with a more critical eye because last year they basically did the same thing where they won a bunch of close games early. They were, what, 12-1 and one or whatever. They beat Butler at the buzzer, and then it all fell apart. And that's why I think fans are like, I don't want to get fooled again here, even though it's almost a completely different team. But part of me kind of, Greg, is like, look, Trace Jackson Davis is blowing up as a freshman, right, having a great season from Indiana. Armand Franklin hits four or five big shots. Everyone's talking about the game winner. The biggest shot Armand Franklin hit was the shot when they were down five because yes. Indiana was about to lose that game. They were, it was three minutes left. They were dead in the water, and Franklin's three gave them new life. That was a bigger shot than the shot in the final minute. From Indiana, right? From Indianapolis. A city player of the year and a state player of the year, Mr. Basketball. And this is what everybody clamored for under Tom Crean. Hey, why aren't you keeping guys right. in here? And now we're still complaining? It's kind of like, I, I, I'm fine watching IU with a critical eye, and I've certainly been low man on them going into this year, and I, I still don't quite know what to think about them. But part of me is also like, can't we just enjoy anything now where this is exactly what Indiana fans wanted? They wanted Indiana guys contributing for Indiana wins, and they're winning. If this record, if this entire season was happening his first year, and maybe even his second year of Archie Miller, you, you, you'd be, it would be a different way. But I think he's in his third year now, and I think there's a growing group of people that, that are almost now looking for signs that it's not going to work. Kind of like mm-hmm. I, and a lot of us are looking at Jacoby for signs like it's not going to work, and we need to move on. And I feel like there's some IU fans that, that they are being negative almost because Archie's been there three years and they're just kind of tired of waiting. And not that they've waited a real long time. Two and a half years is not a long time. No. But there, I think that's what's working against them right now is that the, I think the Archie effect where there was a honeymoon there clearly is totally over and now people are starting to think, well, maybe he's not the guy and they almost don't want to see anything different. From a Purdue standpoint, they got to figure out things offensively. They really need a guy to emerge, and I don't know if it's going to be Aaron Wheeler who finally knocked down some shots in the Crossroads Classic, but it's got to be somebody, Greg, because defensively they're fine. I mean, every other area they're fine. They just don't have anybody that can put the ball in the basket, it feels like. Yeah, look at who their best three players should be this year on paper, and, and Harms is hurt, so mm. you, and he's been pretty good. Uh, but Aaron Wheeler, I mean, he should have been their best player on paper. You watch the way he played last year. You look at his body. You look at his i mean, his skill set. He is, and this is going to sound ridiculous, given that he's averaging five points a game, he is an NBA prototype. 6'9", long, the best athlete on the floor, and can shoot threes. I mean, has a beautiful shooting stroke, and last year we saw it. And this year, I mean, he's in – it's astounding the slump he's in. Astounding. He's shooting even, like 20%. And not even starting yeah, anymore. Yeah. He should be their best player. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, Romeo went through some difficulties with IU last year, but still managed to get some numbers. Mm-hmm. Aaron and Aaron's not the same, quite the same prospect as Romeo, but still Aaron is, is, should be the guy, and he's just seventh man right now. So there's a lot there to get, but you wonder if, if he can turn it around midseason or if this is maybe next year for him. Yeah, before the season, I thought their three best guys were going to be Harms, Wheeler, and Easter. Oh, that's the third name who not scored anything. Yeah, and instead it's been Travion Williams, Eric Hunter, and probably Stefanovic, right? right? Have been their three best guys. How about Eric Hunter has gone? He's, I mean, he was like the number six or seven all-time scorer in our state, which means you can score if you mm-hmm. can do that. And last year he was just a point guard facilitator, like a P.J. Thompson type. And this year he started out this, uh, that way too, but he's starting to look for a shot. He can shoot. By the way, uh, for the Crossroads Classic, one thing I love about that is that I finally get to sit on the court. Everywhere else, you're throwing <laughs> yeah. rows up. No gel Eastern is so big. Yeah. I mean, they, he's listed at 6'6", 225. 
six six, okay, fine. He's two forty, maybe fifty, and I mean muscle. I mean that guy. I, I he's bursting out of his uniform everywhere. I mean he's just huge. So I, that's got nothing to do with anything. But actually, what it has to do with is if there's going to you know Grady Eifert, we all thought might be a tight end in the NFL someday. He's got mm-hmm. the right bodies. His brother's a tight end, and he no gel Eastern. I mean, if you if ten years from now, Tyler Trent has cured cancer, and and I shouldn't put it in the same sentence, so, so different. But ten years from now, if Nojel Eastern is the NFL's next great tight end, okay, that's how he's built. Yeah, and he should. The, the thing about Eastern is that he's never been a good offensive player. He's, he's not a shooter, but he contributed in all these other areas, you know, especially defensively. And you're just not seeing it as much consistently this year. But I'm going to give Matt Painter the benefit of the doubt because they had a similar start last year and they really kicked it into gear, albeit with Carson Edwards, who's not there anymore. Um, And a parting thought on Butler, Greg, because if we don't talk about them, we'll hear about it probably. But I just continue to be impressed by their poise. Even when things got a little bit shaky late, they hit their final 11 free throws and they just look like a completely different team than last year, even though it's a lot of the same personnel outside of Enzi and Golden. Right, it's almost right, and those are two pretty big names. But it is almost entirely. I mean, Kamar and Aaron Thompson and McDermott and all these guys, they are. I, I, I kind of thought they might be flukish. Four or five games into the year, they'd beaten I don't know Minnesota. They'd beaten somebody, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you know, same guys from last year by and large, and they'll come back to to life to to, to where they ought to be. But no, 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 they they are what what they are is their record. They they are that classic Butler team and kind of that Purdue team before Carson Edwards went nuts, where. They're they're better than the the sum of their parts is better than however that works you know like five fingers are, are one thing but you make them a fist it's a whole another ball game the Butler's a fist they Kamar Baldwin's a, a, a very good player but he's not a superstar or anything like that Aaron they got all these guys they form a fist and they defend and they work real hard and they're they're balanced and they're unselfish and and Aaron Laval Jordan I think we're we're seeing that he's really good like he's really yeah. good I'm and I'm happy that to say to see that he's really good easy to root for for sure very. Uh, you can check out Greg's columns, all of the latest. The Pacers statement win from the other night, the Brissett era coming to an end. Also, the Grandma Christmas column from a few years ago, which you retweeted a couple times, and the Tyler Trent piece. Um, definitely worth your time today or, or sometime this week. Uh, are we going to tape Tuesday? Because I didn't know whether to say Happy New Year or not. I guess we could save the Happy New Year to next week. I, I didn't think know. we probably should. Okay. I think we should. Okay. There, there's a yeah. Colts game. There'll be a lot That's to That's right. About. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do the podcast again, and then I can say Happy New Year. Until then, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. For Greg Doyle, I'm Derek Schultz. We will see you next time on Doyle and Derek.